Hola, hello, salut. Hi, this is the Kate Languages podcast and this is the fifth of my CPD episodes for this podcast. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the other ones, um, I have done episodes on using GCSE style activities at Key Stage 3, teacher wellbeing and burnout, tips for improving and maintaining your language skills as an MFL teacher. Um, my latest one was on classroom management um, using a book uh, called The Danish Way of Parenting, um, which I've had some really interesting feedback from actually. So thank you to everybody who has got in touch um, to tell me that you've been listening to my CPD episodes in particular and that um, yeah it seems like they, some of them have been quite useful. The most popular one to date is definitely the uh, teacher wellbeing and burnout one um, which is good because I wasn't I wasn't too sure about um, yeah about doing that one. It was quite a difficult one to do but I'm really really glad that actually it's resonated with quite a lot of people and um, yeah I've had some lovely messages from people that um, it's actually really helped them so that was kind of the aim so I'm really really glad to to hear that and actually on a note of that I've just worked out so this is it's November 2021 now and I've worked out it's actually been five years since um I finished um well I'll go through the whole story in that episode but um yeah five years since I've actually taught in a school uh, which is interesting but I am still teaching um as hopefully you're aware that I do, um, well, the pre-recorded lessons that I have on my website, and then I'm also teaching uh, online courses uh, aimed at MFL teachers, and we have quite a few teacher trainees on the courses as well, and the latest block of classes have just started this week, and uh, yeah, going really, really well, and really fun, so if you're really, if you're interested in improving your language skills, then um, head over to my website, katelanguages.co.uk/courses, uh, and that's where you can sign up to join one of the courses or to buy one of the pre-recorded lessons. Um, and all my other podcast episodes are free samples of those. Okay, so that's enough uh, advertising my products. <laughs> I've sponsored my own podcast. Um, okay, so yeah, so this episode of this. So the CPD episode um, is about designing a curriculum. So I've actually done um, a couple of workshops and webinars and things like that um, on this topic. And it's just something that I think um, is quite interesting. I've, I've, I've had quite a lot of um, emails and messages from people over the years asking whether I'm going to write schemes of work to put on my website, um, you know, the it's obviously for sale. I don't think people expect me to write schemes of work for free. I hope not. Um, but yeah, and it, it's something that I've struggled with a bit and I've sort of thought about now and then and then I've, I've never done it. And the reason why is because I do think that your curriculum is quite uh, specific to your setting and your children. Um, and, you know, everybody has a different number of hours available. So if I said, oh, well, this takes, you know, 12 lessons for some schools, that could be three weeks. And for some, well, if you're really lucky, maybe maybe four weeks if you have three lessons a week. And for some, that could be a whole term because they've only got one one lesson a week. So, yeah, I just I just think it's a very difficult thing for me to write generic schemes of work for people. Um, as I said, I have worked with um 
I, I worked with an academy trust last year um, and I have done a webinar on this idea of designing a curriculum. So I just thought I would go through my main ideas and, yeah, the things that I've um, kind of put together um, as a general starting point. So I think this um, episode would be particularly useful um, for heads of department, heads of, heads of subject. Um, I've also worked with a primary school within this Academy Trust um, on designing their curriculum. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, I, I'm going to be talking about Key Stage 3 because GCSE is, you know, Key Stage 4 is very, very much defined by the by the GCSE and primary um, has different, um, I was going to say, <laughs> issues. No, that's not a very nice word, is it? Um, there, there are different considerations, there you go, with primary schools. So I'm focusing on Key Stage 3. I think this is probably where you've got the most uh, space for creativity, really, within your curriculum. So I'm going to be talking about um, kind of starting with the bigger picture and then narrowing in to the kinds of lessons and the kinds of um, sort of yeah, smaller units um, of learning that you might want to um, plan. I'll say straight away that I don't subscribe to any particular um, pedagogy in terms of, um, you know, there are many different schools that are very vocal on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, uh, very di many different schools of um, MFL learning and teaching. And personally, I like variety. I like a bit of a hybrid method. Um, I haven't used textbooks for many, many years, um, but I'm aware that lots of people do use textbooks. Um, but from what I'm saying in this episode, I don't think... I think if you use textbooks, you can still... Um, take on board a lot of the things I'm saying because I mean okay I have heard of schools who literally just go right this week we're doing page 21 and 22 next week we're doing page 23 and 24 etc um but I th I think for me a textbook if you are following the the textbook is a is a starting point it's a jumping off point and from there you can create your program of study or scheme of work and it needs to be supplemented as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so yeah, so like I said, I'm starting with the bigger picture and then kind of narrowing in. And I'm not telling you what which pedagogy to use, which school of thought that you need to follow, because like I say, I like to look at everything and take bits, bits of each one that I think are um, the, you know, useful. And again, as I said, I this is why I don't, write scheme generic schemes of work for people it all depends on your context and your children um, and I think it's really worth experimenting with lots of different ideas to see what works best for them anyway all right so starting with the bigger picture um starting at the end and I think this is true for all planning so from I mean literally from from every task right through to your entire curriculum you start at the end, you work out what 
you want the pupils to know and to be able to do at the end of the key stage. So if we're saying at the end of key stage three, assuming you have a three year key stage three, what do you want them to know and be able to do at the end of year nine? Regardless of whether they're going on to do GCSE or not, what do you want them to have done in those three years? So that's looking at vocabulary, grammar, culture, um, there might be other things that you want to include in that. I know phonics is a really big thing. I don't, well, does that come in voc vocab, grammar? I'm not really sure where that fits, but yeah, phonics as well. Um, <clears throat> and the skills, of course. I mean, the skills are embedded in every single task and every single lesson, aren't they? And skills being uh, listening, reading, writing, and speaking. And I often include translation these days within those skills. Um, I know they're reading and writing skills essentially, but translation is such a big part of the GCSE now. Um, I kind of always think of it as a, as a fifth skill these days in MFL. So yeah, so what do you want, so what vocabulary do you want them to know? Um, at the moment, um, as I say, this is November 2021. At the moment, people are uh, the, the GCSE focus is very much on themes and topics and you know vocab areas of vocab um, for students to learn. But I'm aware that the GCSE is changing to oh, I don't know is it a thousand fifteen hundred <clears throat> I don't know um, of the most commonly used words in the languages so. Um, if you are thinking of redesigning your key stage three curriculum for the new GCSE, whenever that may be, um, yeah, in terms of vocabulary, what, yeah, how are you going to teach them these thousand, fifteen hundred, whatever words? Um, in terms of grammar as well, <clears throat> thinking about by the end of key stage three, how many tenses do you think they, they need to know? How, how, you know, in how much detail are they going to understand about, about genders, about adjectival endings in German, about cases, all that kind of thing. Um, and the other thing I mentioned was culture. So um, how are you going to embed culture throughout? What, what elements of the culture of the target language do you think it's really, really important for them to know over those three years? And then, you, then you're working out how you're going to fit them in um, to the programmes of study. And then you're thinking about how, how each unit and then each lesson feeds into that final outcome. So as you are designing your curriculum, you need to have that end point in mind at all times. OK, so realistically, you're not saying <clears throat> I want my students to be fluent after three years like that's not going to happen so you're you know as an experienced teacher hopefully if you are designing a curriculum um you've got a bit of experience of, of language teaching um and yeah so your experience should tell you what a good year nine student should be capable of and realistically you know what what's the most that you can expect but also being aware of different levels and different levels of ability um, I think that's a really important thing as well so as I say yeah so thinking about the end point and working out how each unit and each lesson and each task build towards that end point 
So I often think of this as like, like building a house, really. Learning a language is like building a house. You need to build really, really secure foundations. And then each thing you do, each task, each lesson, each unit are bricks that um, work together and, you know, like sit on top of each other to build uh, a house. Um, so, yeah, and one, one of the ways of really securing this, um, I kind of lost my analogy a little bit here <laughs> with the house. Because <laughs> my brain's just gone, what are you on about? Right. Um, yeah, so, so one of the ways of, of building your linguistic house, I suppose, um, is to repeat things as often as possible. Uh, obviously not doing the same thing every lesson, that would be really boring. But again, building this into your curriculum, when are you going to repeat, for example, key verbs such as être en avoir, haben, sein, tener, ser, estar? How are you going to make sure that these are embedded um, and that students achieve mastery? That's a good buzzword around at the moment, isn't it? Mastery. But seriously, I mean, you're not going to be any, you, you can't go anywhere with a language if you if you haven't mastered key 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 things like to be and to have or numbers or you know there are certain things that need to need to be built in and they you need to build into the curriculum like when you're going to introduce them when you're going to first repeat them when you're then going to build build on them so you know you might introduce them at the beginning then repeat them a week or two later, then a month or so later. And then a couple of months after that, you might um, be using them again, but you're building on them. So I don't know. I mean, giving to be and to have as an example. Um, I've just done some um, lessons on these recently. So that's why I'm thinking about them. So starting off with maybe just the, the I form of the verb and then, you know, um, so I am, I have, um, and then building it a couple of weeks later to be able to say he, he is, and he, he is, he has, she is, she has, being able to ask the question, do you have, are you, um, and then, if, you know, a month or two later, bringing in the we form and the they form, things like that. As I say, I don't subscribe to any particular pedagogy, and sometimes, um, and, it, and it does really depend. So I teach teachers at the moment, and I don't do it like like that. I give them the whole verb to conjugate, but that's because they're teachers and they're linguists. Um, so I'm very aware of my context, um, and I do often say to them, "This isn't actually how I would do it with with, with students," but I feel that you really need to know these verbs in full um, to be able to teach them. So. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah, it's a repetition, retrieval practice, spaced learning. So, you know, being aware of when you're going to repeat repeat it um, and how long the gaps are between repetition of um, different key, like I say, key bits of grammar, key vocabulary, etc. So looking throughout your programme of study and working out how often they're actually seeing these key concepts um, and is it enough? Because, you know, most students are going to have to see stuff. Oof, I don't know what the, there's probably lots of research on this, isn't there? Like exactly how many times they need to see it. But I mean, it depends. 
I remember at school, I probably needed to be taught things once or twice, and I used to remember them. I've taught students like that, um, and I've taught students that you can tell something a hundred times, and it still doesn't go in. So, so somewhere between once and a hundred. <laughs> um, but yeah, the more you repeat it, the more you practice it, the, the better it's going to be, you know, and the more it's going to get stuck into their long-term memory, um, which is where you need... Um, everything to be for them to be able to retrieve it successfully etc so yeah so that's the the first thing so starting with the bigger picture what do you want them to know at the end of the key stage and then working out how you're going to reach that point by working out what the key concepts are and how you're going to um, space them out across um, the three years Thinking about content, okay, so as I said, lots of people do use textbooks um, and, you know, the, I mean, in some ways, it's very, easy, it's very easy using a textbook because you've got the content mapped out for you. And as I say, I see them as a jumping off point and you, they need to be supplemented. Um, but yeah, even with a textbook, you need to make decisions. For example, how many topics or how many units are you going to cover per year? So in a, in a, a normal English school, um, you have six half terms per year. Um, in the past, I have thought, oh, that means you can do six topics per year, six units of a textbook, of a textbook per year. Realistically, and I know this is the case with, with a lot of schools, you'll be teaching for maybe three or four weeks, then you'll be doing assessments, and then you will then have a week of, I don't know, get feedback of assessments and maybe watching a film. <laughs> That's really bad, isn't it? Or doing, you know, doing something else. Um, so yeah, so three to four weeks in a six week half term, uh, how much are you really gonna be able to cover in that time? Now, if I were a head of department, I would be looking at three units, three topics per year and going into depth. So instead of skimming the surface of six topics per year, I'd be looking at three key ideas that I want students to look at per topic and I would spend a whole term doing each one. So yeah, so I said they're key ideas, key key concepts. Um, and I think this is something as well that that I've thought about and, and changed my mind on in the past few years. Um, so a key idea being, for example, um, talking about the world around me. All right, that could be your key idea. So whereas before I might have said, right, your topic is my home, my town, my school. If you have the key idea of talking about the world around me, you are kind of broadening that out a little bit um, and you can incorporate things like my home, my town, my school, but working out, okay, how, how can I talk about, how can I join all these things together to then be able to talk about my, the world around me by the end of this term. I really hope that makes sense. Um, so instead of splitting up and saying this, you know, for three weeks, we're going to talk about 
my home. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about my town. And then for two or three weeks after that, we're going to talk about my school. So you're actually thinking of it as a, as a bigger topic and bigger ideas. Um, and yeah, then working out how your programme of study for the term will build towards this key idea. Whether it be talking about the world around me, whether it be, um, oh, I don't know, talking about your what you do in your free time. I mean, that, you know, that might seem like, oh, my God, how can you do an entire term on that? Um, but there are so many things that can be incorporated into that um, and culture. So as I said right at the beginning, vocabulary, grammar and culture and the culture needs to be embedded within each of your topics and within each each of the units um, and needs to, not an add-on so not like oh it's Dia de los Muertos next week oh I wonder if I can just google it and do one random lesson on Dia de los, de los Muertos think about oh okay well that well, I know when that comes up so within the term when that comes up how can that be incorporated in the topic or can I base my topic around something like that um, for that term and then that fits in seamlessly there um, yeah so again in thinking about embedding culture rather than just sticking it in a random lesson as an add-on as well um, another interesting idea and I've got to say I've got a lot of these ideas oh I've talked I've talked about this book before in one of my in my other podcast episodes I swear to god this is one of the best educational books I've ever read is Mary Myatt um the curriculum I'm not going to try and pronounce Gallimoffrey again is it Gallimoffrey Gallimoffrey I did it didn't I oh no uh anyway yeah so the Mary Myatt curriculum book oh it's so good it's she's just got so many brilliant ideas um I mean, if you are designing a curriculum and you haven't read it, I would suggest you stop what you're doing, read the book and incorporate as much as you can from the book. It's so good. And one of the things she talks about that I love is producing beautiful work. I love this idea. Something that you can be really, really proud of. So towards the end of a unit, I would say, um, think about what kind of beautiful work can the students produce? OK, so this isn't assessments. This is something that you want to put on your wall or this is something that you want to watch. It could be a video. It could be something that they listen to. You know, they could be they could make their own little podcast. Oh, my God. I remember like I'm going to say like 15 years ago, I tried to I did podcasts. I made podcasts with some students. No one had really heard a podcast at that point. No one knew what on earth we were doing. So it didn't. It didn't stick, sadly, but honestly, like these days, everyone knows what podcasts are, so um, it might work a bit better. Or YouTube videos, or I don't know, like you know, creating beautiful work in the target language that they that they work towards. They practice, they rehearse, they create something really that they're really, really proud of. Um, and it's based around whatever topical unit you're doing. And again, this works a lot better when you're giving a lot more time to a unit. Now, you might be thinking, oh, my God, but we've got so much that we need to cover and get them prepared for the GCSEs. So I'm, but I'm not saying, like, only talk about pets for an entire term. I'm saying 
think of like a bigger question, a bigger idea, and you work towards that. So if you're saying first time of year seven, you might want them to be able to tell, tell you all about themselves. So to what you're working towards that by Christmas, they can create even just like a, you know, a beautiful portrait where they've got a picture of themselves and they've written some lovely, you know, a couple of paragraphs, but the, but that they are strong and correct and accurate and have got some really interesting ideas and information in there um, about themselves and their families um, or whatever. Or another thing, again, that Mary Myatt talks about, and I think this is really interesting, is to give them the opportunity to use their knowledge in a real world setting. So maybe creating a portrait of themselves or maybe creating a portrait of a French or German or Spanish, whatever speaking person um, that, again, that they are either creating a video or they're creating a beautiful piece of writing or something like that but if if you're thinking of doing that towards the end of your um uh, towards the end of your unit uh, then your program of study leading up to that needs you need to work out well how are we going to build on this and how are we going to prepare <clears throat> prepare it etc so I guess some people might see this as a kind of project work I don't know I don't I don't see it like that I see it as doing everything that you need that you need to do including all the vocab and the grammar and the cultural content that you need to include and then just making sure that at the end of it they've got something really really great that they want to show off and that they can say yeah this is what we've learned and this is what we've done um I mean, if you're really lucky, you might be able to use that as an assessment instead of whatever textbook assessments, whatever assessments, you know, sit there and write something off the top of your head for half an hour. Um, but yeah, again, that's not really that's not really my remit. Um, OK, another thing that Mary Myatt talks about, which is um, oh, which really resonated with me. Uh, so I it is challenge. So I'm going to talk about challenge. I was actually um, gifted and talented coordinator in my last school for a couple of years. And I oh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I, I just wanted the students to have the chance that I never had. Like, I I never felt hugely challenged at school. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I could do a whole podcast on, on how to challenge students and how basically so lots of students are really naughty because they're bored, which is what I was at school. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so challenge is really, really, really important. And I think we need to we need to push students. But also, I think in MFL, it is really hard because especially with children, <clears throat> like children whose English language skills are very, very good. Sometimes I find and I don't know if other people find this as well. I have found that they are the ones who struggle the most because they want to say such interesting, like complex things. And you're kind of going, mm, you're kind of dumbing them down all the time just saying, well, that's really complicated and the grammar's a bit complicated and it's a bit beyond what you know. So can you try and say la 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 la, make it simple? Um, so yeah, that, it, it is really tough. And I, th and I think finding that balance between pushing and challenging 
but not making it so complex that it just ends up being rubbish or they just use Google Translate and it's all just like a waste of everyone's time. So <clears throat> the really important thing with challenge is that you are creating um, content and work for the students that is high challenge and low threat. So again, this is something that Mary Meyer talks about a lot in her book. Um, so the low threat, I think, is really, really important as well. Being able to take risks. And this does, does, does actually fit in with what I was talking about in, in the last episode, the Danish way of parenting, about play and risk taking and things like that. Um, and I do just think it is so important and it's so difficult. And when you are pressed for time and you're worried about, you know, getting them prepared for potentially doing the GCSE, giving students the time and the space to play and experiment and make mistakes is really hard and it's really scary. And I guess for some people as well, like worrying that, you know, Ofsted might think, oh, well, everything's wrong in this book. Like, why aren't they ever getting anything right? I mean, making mistakes doesn't mean everything's wrong. But yeah, and I can see that people worry about that. Um, and there might be people, you know, observing lessons or whatever who don't really understand that sort of philosophy. Um, but then if, if you are in the position where you can design your own curriculum and you are a middle leader, then hopefully you'll be able to put your case forward if this is what you really want to be doing. Anyway, OK, I keep digressing a little bit, don't I? So challenge. <clears throat> So high challenge, low threat. Okay. So the low threat means it doesn't matter if you get it wrong. We want you to take risks. We want you to make mistakes and we want you to learn from those mistakes. We don't want you to get 10 out of 10 for every single thing that you ever do. What is the point in that? Like you're not learning anything from that if you're always getting everything right. But you need to create an atmosphere where they feel safe enough to take risks and get things wrong. And again, in MFL, this is harder. It's much harder because making a mistake and getting things wrong in a foreign language is really scary because you risk sound like you think you're going to sound really stupid. I mean, I still do it. I will still go to France or Germany or Spain and I worry and I say things wrong. And then I realise that someone's like repeated it back to me and corrected me. And I think, oh God, you know, it's, yeah, it's scary. Speaking a foreign language is scary. So what are you going to do within your classes and this needs to be planned into the curriculum. This is not something that's just like, again, an add-on, you know, oh, well, yeah, we'll think about that, blah, blah, blah. And I would say as well as a curriculum leader, do not assume that all of your staff are aware of things like group dynamics um, and creating warm cozy comfortable hugger kind of spaces again listen to my other episode about the danish way of teaching what was it classroom management danish style um yeah don't don't assume that all of your staff are doing that um so yeah again it needs to be embedded into the curriculum how are you going to do this I often um, recommend an amazing book by is actually he was actually my um master's tutor Zoltan Dernier and it's called um, Group Dynamics in the Language Classroom. I recommend it to people, but then actually, I, last time I looked on Amazon, it was like, 
really expensive and it's a really thin book, but it, it's really good for understanding group dynamics. Um, in fact, I might do an ep- I might do a podcast episode on group dynamics because yeah, there you go. I'll make a note. Um, anyway, so yeah, so making sure that your group dynamics are such that students feel safe and that they can make mistakes and that they're not going to feel stupid if they make mistakes and get things wrong. Um, so that needs to be embedded within the curriculum, whether it's working out how to do icebreaker activities, um, you know, t- working out how you're going to yeah, create that kind of atmosphere in the classroom. Thinking about what kind of things actually uh, challenge pupils. So, you know, for example, reading a text, doing true and false, does that actually challenge them or are they just guessing? Okay, we've all come across students who are like, guess, true, 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 true. They know they're going to get roughly 50% and that's enough. They don't care. They've not understood the text. So what are you doing to make sure they've actually understood the text, you know? A true-false question is not going to ensure that they are actually engaging with the text. Um, And I know it's a GCSE, like it is a GCSE reading question, Um, but for learning, (laughs) um, that type of activity isn't going to be ideal. And a lot of people talk about this now, and I think in terms of differentiation, um, a lot of the thinking these days seems to be to kind of to teach to the top and to scaffold below. So the challenge, so the work is challenging and it is difficult and it is engaging and hopefully it's motivating. But for those students who are going to struggle, they need scaffolding. So either they need really clear vocabulary lists, they need more help in English, um, they need, I don't know, if if you're asking them to translate a text from English, uh, from the foreign language into English, for example, they, they might need the sentences in English, but just in the wrong order. And then they literally, they're matching up the sentences to work out, okay, well, I know that word and I know that word, so I can put them together. Um... I mean, I've got a million ideas for that kind of thing as well. But yeah, so thinking about how you're going to push and challenge and teach to the top, but how that's going to be scaffolded for lower ability pupils. And again, it needs to be embedded within the design of the curriculum. It's not just like it's not a lesson by lesson thing. It is part of the big, big, big picture. Um, But to go back to the big picture and challenge and different abilities. I do not subscribe to all, must, some, or whatever, whatever it is. I think the big picture needs to be, we we really want all students to be able to do X, Y, Z, and to, to know and understand X, Y, Z by the end of, of the key stage. The extent to which they can do that, and how much scaffolding they need to be able to do that, depends on the student. But I don't, personally, I don't, don't think you can say I think they should be able to do that but they're only going to be able to do that like they should all have the target of being able to do whatever your things are that you want them to be able to do by the end of the key stage um I'd be really interested to know people's opinions on that because I don't know I think that's a it's, it's something that I've again thought about a lot more probably since I've stopped teaching <laughs> um and I'm working more with teachers um and yeah, I don't know. I think that's an important 
point. Okay, the last thing I wanted to talk about was, um, so I've talked about beautiful work and creating interesting work and things like that and real world settings. And the last thing I want to talk about in, is related to that in terms of, um, yeah, making languages relevant and enjoyable. Um, and again, I could do an entire episode on this really, like how to make it relevant to because languages are relevant I mean I was you know I was really lucky as a kid that I went to France Germany and Spain like quite a lot um and I spoke to people in foreign you know I mean not very well um and then I did always find everyone could speak really good English which is so annoying but um yeah but I was aware that languages are like a real thing that you can actually do so they are relevant it's not like they're not like some abstract theory they're like totally relevant um so how do you get that across again within your curriculum it needs to be embedded within your curriculum i think planning culture into the curriculum helps to make it relevant um and by culture i don't just mean customs and festivals by the way i mean everything so people history in particular um and it's a lot easier in french and spanish um is you know, colonialism, the francophone world, Hispanic, you know, Latin America, etc. That kind of thing is so important and will be relevant to a lot of your students um, who may come from, you know, all over the world. So, yeah, so some ideas that I've had for making MFA relevant and enjoyable. One of the things is playing around with words, finding interesting, strange words and learning about the etymology of words, learning about words um, and language families. So how are French and Spanish related to each other? What other languages are related? Um, you know, I've taught many Romanian students and it's fascinating when you're teaching them French or Spanish and they say, oh, that's actually really similar to Romanian because obviously Romanian is a Romance language. Um, I remember, mom, I got many, many years ago teaching, telling the time in German, saying, "Oh, yeah, it's a bit, and it's a bit funny because half past, like half past three, is actually half until four. And the one kid piped up and said, "Oh, it's the same in my language." Um, I don't want to say what language it was, so I can't remember. I think it's somewhere, somewhere like Croatian, maybe Serbo, I don't know, something from former Yugoslavia, I'm going to say, but I could be wrong. <laughs> but yeah, and that is just so interesting. So, you know, looking at language families and 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 how um, different languages are related to each other and what are the same in, in different languages, um, looking at cognates, false friends, all those kind of things, pulling up a, a dictionary to show so if you look at the Collins Dictionary Online, for example, they show etymology, they show words that are related to each other. Um, and yeah, so playing again, I mean, again, this goes, this is related to what I was talking about with the, um, the other episode about, uh, Danish parenting and teaching. Um, okay. Reading authentic texts. So not just the texts that have been created by textbook authors or resource writers like myself, um, off the top of my head, but actual authentic texts that may come across as really, really complicated. But if you can break them down and work through them with the students, um, they're perfectly doable. Things like the Grimmärchen, so the um, Grimm's fairy tales, because they're quite nice and short. Um, articles from um, 
online newspapers. I know in French and German they've got really good ones for children, um, like Un Jour and uh, ZDF has um, Logo Nachrichten, um, things like that. So yeah, they things like that are really really engaging. I think. Or look at translations of books they already know. Look at how they're translated. So Harry Potter, for example. How are they translated? And actually the French translations of Harry Potter are brilliant because the, the words are things like the the sorting hat. Um, is it the chapeau? I think they call it. Like schwa as in choice. And then chapeau. Pull. Yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, and so look at actually how they're translated and, you know, things like that, which... I t- I would have found really interesting when I was a kid and I think you'd be surprised that quite a lot of kids would find that really fascinating um, and then see if you can work with other subjects as well and again plan that into your curriculum design um, what are they reading in English for example is there a way of incorporating you know the the kind of whatever book they're studying in English is there a similar German book is there a a French translation of the book that you can look at together um looking at profiles of of famous scientists or something I don't I mean you know the possibilities are endless but it's it's definitely really important I think to make it relevant um and enjoyable and that's kind of brought it down to the task level and the lesson level um but again all of this needs to be embedded in your curriculum design. Um, I think the more you think about things in advance, actually the less you're going to have to plan them kind of day to day. To day. And also if you have people in your department who are maybe not necessarily um, specialists, so I'm saying this from the position of someone who teaches a lot of teachers who aren't specialists, um, who are basically trying to keep one or two steps ahead of the students at all times, to have this embedded within the programmes of study and to have the, the links and to have the ideas there already from a specialist would be absolutely invaluable. I can imagine, you know, that, that would be so helpful for so many people. Um, and, yeah, I think as a curriculum leader, you need to be thinking about these. And, again, like the culture you know, one of the things that people have said to me, um, particularly on the like the, the beginners classes, is that they don't know about the culture in these lang- in France or Spain or whatever the language is that they don't really know because they've not studied it. They don't they've not been there. Um, so so yeah, I think there's a lot there's a lot to consider, and I've you know been talking for over forty minutes about. Um, my ideas and there are so many more ideas um so yeah there's a lot out there and there's a lot to consider um so to just go back to sum up what i have said i started off by talking about how you need to look at the bigger picture start at the end what do you want them to know and do by the end of the key stage so in terms of vocab grammar culture and the skills So reading, listening, writing, speaking and translation and then work backwards and work out how each unit and each lesson feeds into that outcome. Throughout 
the time you need to be thinking about how key concepts are repeated and built upon over the course of time, retrieval practice, how you're going to get things into long-term memory and how you're going to build on them when they encounter that each time they encounter them. Then I talked about the curriculum content, how many topics or units do you want to cover per year? As I said, personally, these days, if I were head of department, I would be thinking of three units with a key idea per unit. And you can go into depth. Every lesson, every task builds towards this key idea and giving the pupils a chance to, do, to produce beautiful work at the end whether it's written or spoken, um, and thinking about translating it into a real-world setting, which is easy for languages because they are real. Um, then I also talked about challenge. So high challenge, low threat. Teaching to the top, scaffolding um, for those who might struggle, and making your classroom feel safe and making them feel comfortable enough to make mistakes, celebrate making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. Don't celebrate mistakes for the sake of like, because you keep getting everything wrong. Celebrate learning from making mistakes. And lastly, I talked about making MFL relevant and enjoyable. So playing with words, looking at etymology, word language, language families, etc. Authentic texts, um, how you can embed them within your curriculum design and then talking to other subjects and seeing whether you can do cross-curricular things within your um, programmes of study as well. I really hope that that is useful. Um, as I was doing all this, I have a PowerPoint that I have used um, for, like I said, I've done um, webinars and um workshops and stuff on this so I am going to put this up on my website as um, a blog post and I will put a link to the PowerPoint so you can download the PowerPoint um, and you can see it all written down because I know for me like that's a lot of information and I probably would be like oh my god I need I need to see this written down so I will put that on my website as a blog post so if you um, yeah if you just go to katelanguages.co.uk click on my blog um, unless you're listening to this in like two or three years time, it will be one of the most recent blog posts there. Um, so, yeah, as always, I'd really, really love your feedback. Um, <clears throat> I'd love to know what you thought of this episode, whether this is how you plan your own curriculum anyway, whether whether it's something um, whether it's made you think, like, oh, yeah, I really need to include X, Y, Z. So culture, I think, is a really big one at the moment. Um, and how an authentic text may be, how you can incorporate them into your curriculum. Um, please do contact me and say, okay, this is a load of rubbish and absolutely impossible <laughs> if you feel that uh, it's unrealistic. You know, like I say, it's been five years since I've been in the classroom, but I have worked with a lot of teachers in that time, so I don't feel like I'm completely out of the loop. Um, but yeah, I always love your feedback. So I am at Kate Languages on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook or you can email me kate at katelanguages.co.uk um, or yeah just just get in touch let me know let me know your thoughts um I think 
I've been talking long enough. I feel like I'm losing my voice, so I think I'm going to let you go. Oh, last thing. Uh, if you could rate and review and subscribe to my podcast, that'd be great because that helps more people to know that it's out there, uh, which is always really, really handy. So anyway, yeah, as I say, I hope this has been useful um, and I'd love to hear your feedback. Okay, au revoir, adios. Guten, no, not guten tag. <laughs> Auf Wiedersehen. I can't even speak German. Bye.